Hello and welcome to episode two of Where Do We Go From Here? I'm one of your hosts, Jessica Van Der Weingard. And I'm Debbie Abraham. Where Do We Go From Here? is a podcast that untangles sexual ethics for a new generation of Christians. To find out more, check us out at wheredowegopod.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter at wheredowegopod. Thanks for joining us this week as we ask the question, is purity the right word to use to describe sexual choices? But before we do that, please hit that subscribe button so you can get our podcast lined up in your listening app and do leave us a nice review. Now let's get into our show. Right at the outset of us creating this podcast, we want to be very careful and intentional about terms we use, especially terms that have been used throughout purity culture. And we are speaking quite literally of the way the culture has described itself, which is purity. Quite often the word purity, or as sometimes it's phrased, sexual purity, we all know what that relates to. It relates to someone's sexual abstinence. This is a term we're all familiar with if we've grown up in a Christian context, the term sexual purity. But is this a biblical term? Debbie and I both would agree the way it's being used is not how it's used in scripture. Yeah, so I think what we're really looking into today is examining the idea of language and why language matters Mm. and why calling something what we call it has significant impact both in terms of how we think about the issue but on how that issue is shaped by community at large. What Jess and I are trying to do today is really examine the term purity. Is it actually the term that the Bible uses to talk about sexual choices? Now, we want to be clear here from the outset, we aren't the ones telling you how to interpret the Bible in terms of what the Bible says is sin or not. We believe that you are able to do that for yourself if it is important to you. But what we do want to do is examine what purity culture and its proponents claimed, which is that Mm. the concept of purity belonged in the realm of sexual decision-making. So we are of the position that the Bible does talk about purity, but it is the concept of purity in the Bible is about something much bigger than simply sexual choices. Yes, and that's what we're going to do over the course of this episode. Just the two of us are going to look at this issue. We're going to look at what the Bible says, hopefully equip you with a bit of a toolkit if you want to continue to investigate this for yourself, or at least help you understand as we move forward with this podcast, why we're not going to be using the term purity to describe sexual choices. The term sexual purity is not what we're going to use, and this episode will help you understand why. Yep. Okay, so without further ado, we're going to dive right in. So Debbie, uh, here on my laptop, you'll see that just in Bible Gateway, I just typed in the word purity. Yes. And it came up seven times. Seven times. Yeah. Is there Old and New Testament? Well, you know, seven is the number of completion. (laughs) Oh, it's a great, great Bible pun joke. I'm full of that. It's an inside joke here for us. So we have here three references from the Old Testament, four from the New Testament, and this is just the word purity. Let's just have a look at some of these. So often in the Old Testament, I've got one here from Numbers, and that's referring to purity of the camp. 
So the Israelites having come out of Egypt and Yahweh is establishing them as a nation. And so often around hygiene, that's where purity was kind of described, often around menstrual cycles and things like that as well. Yeah, I think it might be worth mentioning also the overarching arc of scripture Mm. and sort of the bigger story as well that's happening there, which is I think we see a pattern of God separating people for himself. Right. So there's a sense of God is already separate from everything that he creates. Uh, God creates, and Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, it's separate from everything Mm -hmm. else. Then Adam and Eve sin, they go out into the world. Then God separates Noah and his family uh, through the the ark and then eliminates everyone else with the flood. And then God separates Abraham again, right? Yes. Takes Abraham away, separates Isaac, Jacob. Jacob's family through Joseph gets separated. Then he rescues the Israelites out of Egypt. They are separated. So, so there's a pattern, I think, in Scripture of God saying, I want people for myself, and I want them to be separate from everyone else. I want them to live differently. Mm. I want them to do things differently from the culture around them. Yeah. And very much the language here, I think, in the Old Testament is one of contamination. Mm. I don't want them contaminated by everyone else. And that meant, you know, rules about intermarriage and um, food, uh, kosher laws. And you could say that that continues with Jesus coming and saying, Jesus is separate. Jesus makes a way for all of us to be united with God. Mm. And the church now is separate in the way that it lives. So I think... I think it's worth saying that when the Bible is talking about right ways of living and ways not to live, Mm. the purpose is that God wants people who claim to follow him to live differently from the way other people do. I feel like that's an important part of the purity conversation. Like, what is it for? Mm. Yeah? Yeah. And I think in the Old Testament, you mentioned this before, uh, the terms purity or the term pure and how it gets applied is often around that race piece. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, like the racial purity almost of the Israelites. Yeah. And I think certainly that's one of the most problematic applications of the word purity historically. So Adolf Hitler used the term pure to talk about the Aryan race. Mm. So, you know, I don't know if that's what you're getting at, but yes, yeah. (laughs) We're just all over the place. Just by looking at the diversity, I I guess like what I'm trying to get at is like, it's a broad term. It's a broad term. It's applied broadly. Absolutely. In the New and Old Testament. Absolutely. And so I think it's important for us, for us to know that coming into this conversation. Yeah. Yeah, and I think we say that just because we know that you who are listening, you're coming to this from a variety of different top, uh, places. Yeah. And we know that we, we might not hold common ground, actually, on mm. what we believe about the Bible. And that's fine with us. Like, you can use this podcast as you wish in your life because, again, as we say over and over, this is your life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah? We can't tell you how to live. Like, you get to make those decisions. We're establishing where we find common ground between the two of us, Mm -hmm. which is the idea that God wants people who say they follow him to live differently from the way other people live. That's a very clear pattern in, in scripture. Yeah. 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 That's um, very true. I think one of the, as you were talking earlier about 
um, being set apart and things like that. Also thinking through the reality that even though God was apart from humanity, there's this wonderful juxtaposition in the gospel of though God is separate, he entered humanity mm. and he became flesh. Mm. The word became flesh. So mm. we have this beautiful, almost incomprehensible yeah. way that God still penetrates what is impure, you yep. know, with himself time and time again and through Jesus kind of restoring uh, or fulfilling so much of the Old Testament around what it meant to be set apart and how Jesus, even though he is God and he is set apart just by virtue of being God, he was in amongst his people. So God is constantly setting us apart, but also showing us the best way to do that. And yes. it's often not what uh, in our humanness we think it looks like. That's good. So looking back to where the word purity is mentioned in the Bible, uh, let's look at an example from Psalm 119. And this is verse 9. How can a young person stay on the path of purity by living according to your word? And that is literally a verse that we used in youth group to talk about sexual purity. I can hear her voice now. That is often um, a verse that's used. Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, it's a really great one because if we look at it alone by itself there without looking at any other translations, without understanding the context or looking at any commentaries, it would be very easy to kind of make those assumptions. So what does it mean? Tell so us. what does it mean? <laughs> well, if we want to understand what a word means and we don't have any um, Greek or Hebrew language, another really good thing you can do is actually just look at a verse in different translations. Mm -hmm. And that is going to help you get a sense of, okay, is this a word that a particular translation has decided to use given um, their theological leanings? You know, say an amplified Bible might use different words. Mm -hmm. Look, If you look at the King James Version, yeah. for example, right so that can also help us figure out what the word means mm -hmm. so I looked up um, this in a few different translations so here as Debbie read it it was NIV but if you look at the King James version it says something different it says wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word so here it actually, it's not saying that the state is a pure state to begin with. It's saying that it's not a pure state, but it's talking about cleansing the way forward. If we look here at a commentary, uh, this is from the John Gill's exposition of the Bible. He really does refer to this verse being about cleansing his way. So closer to that King James version rather than maintaining a state of purity. It's talking about how we're all born sinful mm -hmm. and we need almost to practice that a more New Testament term we called sanctification, mm. where we're cleansing the way forward, mm. where we're wanting to go forward yeah. living in a pure way. And this isn't talking about a state of virginity or anything like that. The Eugene Peterson book, The Long, Long Obedience, Obedience in the, in the same, same Direction. That idea, maybe. And how do we do that, Debbie? We get the answer right here in the second part of verse 9 which is living according to your word. Yeah. And so we're talking about how, how, how do we actually have discipleship, really? Mm. Cleansing the way forward. And this isn't just about sexual choices. Sexual choices will come into it, yeah. but it's about all of life. Yeah. So that's that word purity from this verse. Yeah. 
So that's a, that's a good example of how we can take a verse out of context mm. and twist it uh, to mean what we want it to mean because we want the Bible to say certain things. Yeah, we're, we're reinforcing a particular message. That's right. As yeah. opposed to actually the richness that can be there if you're looking at the bigger picture, the bigger context. Yeah, and exactly. Yeah, because it's a much richer understanding to say, okay, this is a long obedience mm. and and there's a way that in the process of walking it out yeah. I am working it out that's right and I'm and not that I'll never make a mistake right <laughs> right it's a long obedience yeah heading in the same general direction yeah but uh, yeah the 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 path of purity kind of has mistakes kind of built into it because mm. that's that's just the nature of life and mm. being human and living a human life. And now I'm going to just interrupt you there and say, when you say the path to purity, <laughs> what, you, yeah, what you mean by purity when you just said that was what? Right. Well, talking about it, it's specifically in this verse, Psalm 119 verse 9, it's really discipleship. Mm. The path of purity is discipleship. But purity in the sense of, or discipleship in the sense of, your whole life your every whole life. area of your life mm. yeah is is your discipleship mm. so another verse uh and this one's from the new testament it's in 1 timothy 4 and 1 timothy uh is a book that or a letter well it's now a book in the bible but a letter that paul wrote to timothy uh when he was assisting with the church in ephesus I think it's important sometimes that we look at that context when we go to read something from the Bible. It's super helpful. I mean, when you watch a TV show, every episode's like previously on. So maybe we should do that with the Bible. Just maybe a little, we should. Just a little thing. Yes. <laughs> it's maybe important. So this verse here uh, from 1 Timothy 4 verse 12. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith and in purity. So this is direct correspondence between Paul and Timothy. And this is Paul encouraging Timothy in his witness to the church. Yeah. So one of the, this is the ESV introduction to the book of first Timothy. And they write as the purpose, they say, Paul wrote first Timothy to advise his coworker Timothy about issues in the church in Ephesus. False teachers are the main cause for the letter. Their teaching apparently involved incorrect assumptions about the law and not allowing marriage and certain foods. Paul's real concern is with the results of the false teaching, which I think is very interesting. So this mm. verse, uh, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. I mean, if I had a dollar for every youth group meeting I went to, because it's obviously, it's perfect, right? We're young. Picture perfect. Yeah, we're young. It's covering everything that they don't want us to do. Speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Ding, and ding, 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 ding. And purity, of course, in the context of youth group, church, we're talking about sexual purity only. But it's interesting to me that within the context of Paul's concern for the people of Ephesus uh, and the teaching, the false teaching that they're receiving, when you think about that, he's left Timothy behind. So he's telling Timothy, you're in charge here. Yeah. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Yeah. So it's not, you're a 15-year-old teenager 
your example of virginity is an example to the church. It's right. not, that's not what it's no. about. It is, Timothy, my son, I have, I have raised you up. I have poured my life into you. We need to guard the good deposit, guard the treasure of the gospel in, in this church. Yes. Protect it from false teachers. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But let your life set an example in all of these areas. Yeah. And I think you've discovered what the word purity actually yes. means in this context. Yes. So let's have a look at that. So purity, uh, this term purity in Greek. This is from the verse in Timothy. From this, this is, specific example. Um, an interesting thing when you look at different words in Greek, and this is something I learned when I was studying theology and we were doing exegesis classes. Basically, some of these words, the only way we understand even what they mean, because there, there wasn't a dictionary, right? There isn't an ancient Hebrew, ancient Greek dictionary. They've been created mostly by biblical or Christian scholars over the centuries. And oftentimes they're looking at how many times is, is the same <laughs> collection of letters used together to make a word what is the context and trying to figure out and figure out as best they can what that word means. Mm -hmm. So what this word means, what the word hagnia means in Greek is referring to sinlessness of life. Mm. Sinlessness of life is what purity or hagnia means in Greek. Right. And if we read this verse with that context, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in general sinlessness of life. Yeah. So that kind of puts that in a little bit more context for us as we're putting together how we understand what the word purity means yeah. and what it doesn't mean. Another example in 1 Timothy, this is in the next chapter, we use the same word purity. Um, it's used with the adjective absolute purity mm. and that is also in reference to sinlessness of life. Same translation. Mm. In 1 Peter uh, we also see the word purity used and it's talking about purity and reference of your lives and again it's derived from that same word um, and this is hagnos and this is pure, pure from carnality chaste modest so these are some of the words because we because again we're kind of doing it, the scholars have done their best over the centuries to figure out what this word means it's been translated as purity but it kind of here it refers a little bit more specifically probably to issues of sexuality right and that word is hagnos hagnos so it's a different word yeah slightly yeah. different word yeah. being translated as purity yeah so and again, this is where if you don't um, have, have access to some of these Greek or Hebrew language skills, which I would encourage you to, to, to do your best to grab a hold of. I mean, mm. today we're just Googling stuff. I'd, we're not sitting here with massive lexicons. We're just going to GreekBible.com mm. and finding information, which any of you can do. But you can also just look at a few different translations mm. in English and how they use the word. But here it, it is more relating to issues of, of sexuality. So there are some instances mm -hmm. where the Bible is describing um, sexuality. It's a shame, though, that in English it seems to be universally translated yeah. as purity. Yeah. Well, they say English is a very limited language, yeah. I would say. Yeah. Well, the classic example that Christians always use is the word love. Uh, right. Agape, eros, yeah. and phileo. I right. love my boyfriend. I love pizza. 
I love chocolate. <laughs> I love doing this podcast with you. <laughs> I wonder now that Hagnia, where else it's found in the New Testament? That would be a great little bit of homework for you to do <laughs> and come back and tell us all next week, Debbie. So enjoy. I think it's important though, if we, because we do know, like, whether the, whether it's described as the word purity, we know sexuality and sexual immorality is talked about in the Bible. Right. So I think we can look at one of those examples. Paul does reference sexual immorality. So there definitely is a place to be discussing it. And we're not trying to ignore that. But what we see with Paul when he's talking about sexual sin or sexual immorality, he is almost universally, I haven't seen an example where he's talking about it in isolation from other sins. Yep. All right, let's read Galatians 5, 19 to 21. So Galatians is also written by Paul, and he writes, The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So there you go. We do have Paul addressing head-on issues of sexual immorality, Mm. but he does so in the context of a whole lot of other sins. He does not write letters specifically on sexual immorality, on virginity, on sexual abstinence. Yeah. Yeah. It's within the context of all of these other things. And I think, again, if we're looking at sin, not just as what we do individually, yes. but also as in terms of our choices when they are not in accordance or in obedience to the way God wants to do things, it causes the breakdown of our communities. I think that's, I think that's true, and I think we can look at the world today And if you're listening to this and you're not a Christian or you don't share how we view the Bible, that's fine. But I think all of us can find common ground in terms of saying there is something broken in our world. There's something broken in our neighborhoods, in our systems. There are people who are systematically, continually disadvantaged. Uh, The poor are not cared for. Orphans are not cared for. The Mm. environment is not cared for. Our selfish ambition. I think it's interesting that this talks about selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy. These like those things alone have so much impact communally. Mm. Um, And so I think it's so important to say that yeah, the choices that I make with my body, as it relates to sex or otherwise, it has an impact. Absolutely. But yeah. there's a community implication to my decisions as well. Yes, yes. And um, oftentimes sin in the Bible is described in not in terms of the impact on your personal piety, but it's an impact on the community. That's right. And, and how this works in, with, as we live in a, com- in a communal way as um, we love God and love each other. I like what you said there about personal piety mm. because I think – that's really what the movement, what the purity movement, sexual, pu- um, I've lost the word. Purity culture. That's what purity culture really was about, was yeah. about personal piety. 
So it was personal piety separate from uh, corporate responsibility. So you could feel personally pious because you weren't quote unquote um, sinning sexually or lustful or whatever, but then you could be full of hatred, discord, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, etc. And there could yeah. still be this deep sense of fracturing inside yourself and a fracturing in your community. And, and it didn't feel like it mattered. Yeah, exactly. And that was because of how we use the word purity. Yes. Because purity was my personal piety in the area of my sexual choices. It was not in any way sense purity in my whole life. It My, my personal piety was summed up in my virginity. Yes. In a quote-unquote pure thought life. So this episode wasn't meant to be a full-on Bible study. We'll, we'll, we'll kind of leave it there and move on into the rest yeah. of our discussion. But that's just giving you very briefly some tools and some, some of our thoughts mm. and some of our research that we've done. You can go away and do more if it's of interest to you. Uh, but that is the reason why we are not going to, from a biblical perspective, why when we talk about sexual choices or sexual immorality, we're not going to use the word purity. Yeah. We really believe that the word purity in the Bible is talking to a broad sense of us not being in yeah. right standing with God. We don't believe that the Bible is using the word purity exclusively to talk about sexual decisions. Yes. So we actually have received a voice message uh, from one of our listeners. This listener has been kind enough to send us some of her thoughts on this term purity and speak out of her experience. So we'll play that clip for you now. Hi, my name is Susanna and I'm from Austin, Texas. In the evangelical Christian homeschooling context where I grew up, we read verses like Jesus' injunction that looking at a person with lust is committing adultery. And we twisted that to define lust as experiencing romantic or sexual attraction at all. So, of course, I felt constantly impure, even though for years I was totally ignorant about what sex even was. Purity culture convinced me that just noticing people and being drawn to them was somehow impure. I remember feeling these OCD-like compulsions to go to my mom and confess my crushes as sins and ask for her to pray with me. I would journal for pages and pages begging Jesus to take away these feelings of attraction I had. Um, purity is defined as being free of pollution or free from moral fault or guilt. It also has overtones of ritual purity like in the Old Testament. So using this word in the context of our sexual relationships to me takes the emphasis off of wholeness or loving kindness or health and puts that emphasis on living up to a rule. It feels abstract and arbitrary, and if we equate impurity with desire itself the way my culture did, then purity also feels empty and even really inhuman. To me, trying to be pure meant trying to become this blank, empty shell of a vessel for God to fill, but I could never do it. I could never dig deep enough to pull up the roots of my desire, almost as if it wasn't this alien invader at all, but something that belonged there all along. Oh my gosh, I could never dig deep enough to pull out the roots of my desire. That is so... I feel like Susanna put so many words to our experiences. Mm. I can put myself back into youth group meetings with that feeling of 
dread of like, I have sinned. And what was my sin? I had had lustful thoughts about a cute boy or something like that. But I think like we had very innocent feelings about what lust yes. meant. Because if you think about it now as mature adults, that's a very different kind of thoughts that one might have compared to what a teen (laughs) you know an an innocent like pre-sexualized teenage girl or teenage boy especially when we were growing up kind of before porn was how we now understand porn this probably for me this manifested as I had a crush Mm. on a boy and I thought maybe I'd like to kiss him Mm. maybe I'd like to hold his hand Mm. you know and like that was basically the extent to my Mm. lust in my mind at the time but feeling crippled by that and so wrong I don't know if that was the same for you Debbie yeah absolutely and it it did feel like it was the consuming question how was I doing spiritually was how was I doing with my lusting or my thought life as a teenager and I think I think what she what she also touches on is the way that for us, Mm. purity or, quote, sexual purity had to do with worthiness. And I think that's something that's, again, deeply problematic about the term. It's also because of the term. You know, you can talk about sinning. I gossiped and I still feel maybe loved, worthy in the in the presence of God or in the sense of your spiritual life. But when yeah. you say I'm impure, what is that 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 means I'm I'm other, I'm yeah. separate. I'm I'm not allowed to be in this presence. And I think I think that's one of the other very problematic things about the term. I think we need to be able to talk mm. about sin while maintaining the fact that we're loved by God, that we're God's children, that we're still in his presence that within the context of a loving relationship with god loving kindness as she said you're not unworthy you're not separate i'm going to pick up on something else that susanna mentioned her desire that it sounds like she's come to a place of realizing that the the fact that she is a person a woman that can desire something is a good thing and that sounds like a really healthy Mm. place that susanna's come to So we celebrate with you, Susanna, on that. That's wonderful. But during purity culture, as a woman, a a young woman, I didn't have any Mm. desire that men had desire and I was the gatekeeper Mm. of desire. Mm. I was to be this modest, purposeful individual protecting men from their own desire and the denial of mine having any desire myself. You know, it would be interesting, I'm genuinely curious about this, how many women listen to this and listen to what Susanna said and resonate with feeling like an empty shell. And I would be curious to know Mm. um, if that's another one of those inheritances of purity culture, that for a lot of women, that was one of the places where we started to hear that your desires don't matter. And I think that carries over to a lot of other areas of life. It just makes me think about how awesome Jesus is. <laughs> you know, think about how it's 
it's throughout the Bible. I mean, these days we jump up and down about patriarchy and all of this kind mm. of stuff. The Bible really is patriarchal. I mean, there is a sense in which it is very male yeah. led and that and that was of yeah. the time. Um, and it seems to be part of part of Christianity historically. And if we look at the life of Jesus, we really see a man, the God man, the son of son of God, son of man, who spent so much time elevating mm. women and elevating women in a time where that mm. was not done. Women had the same rights mm. as children. They never even had adult yep. rights. Adult rights were only yep. given to men in that era. So if we think about what Jesus did and read the Gospels through that lens, we can really see Jesus' heart going out to women so much. I think that can also help us reconcile true Christianity and the Gospel with some of our experiences of purity culture. Yeah. I think about Jesus asking women, what do you want? Isn't mm. that interesting? Wow. What do you want? And, and implied in that question is total agency. There's no implication that they had to say a certain thing. There's a sense that he's just asking, what do you want? And I, I find that incredible acknowledgement of their personhood, that you're a human mm. being, you're capable of wanting something. Let's talk about the implications of the word purity to the conversation about sexual decision making. Yeah, well, I think it's, in a way, like, it's just self-evident. Like, it's pretty obvious what it implies. And it's we've touched on it already, and that really is that you're, whether or not you're pure or living a clean life, your entire discipleship is kind of, can be summarized in this one thing that has been become what purity signifies, which is really just how you um, abstain from sexual intercourse. Yeah. It kind of just get dials down to that. That's the implication of calling purity anything to do with your sexuality, anything yep. to do with it. Yeah, I think it also, there's something about it. I think it's Richard Beck that talks about this in his book, mm. Unclean. He's got a blog post about that book, which is great, and we'll link to it in the show notes. One of the things he talks about is the permanence factor of purity right. judgments. And I think that's something that you hear a lot of women in particular talking about as it relates to their own sexual choices, yeah. choices that they regret, choices that they don't regret, whatever way they fall on that. Sure. There is a sense of this is something I can't get rid of. And I think that's one of the yeah. deeply problematic um, things about using the word purity to talk about uh, sexual um, choices. I think, again, I don't have a problem for people coming at it from a biblical worldview saying what is obedience, what is sinful, let's talk about abstinence, let's talk about chastity, that's fine. But I think when you start talking, I am pure, I am impure, that has some really big psychological consequences for how you think about your life. And I would say what we believe about who we are impacts how we act. If you believe that you are yes. impure, you're going to do things that will, I think, harm your body, that will harm yourself. 
Yeah, and you can see that like in some of the stories and the research that we've both yes. read that bears out in terms of how people process sexual choices that they've made or mistakes they've made as we as we all make mistakes and how they feel like oh okay well I'm not pure so it doesn't matter what I do from here on out or feeling like they almost need to embark on um, a journey of almost like punishing themselves by repetitive yeah. behavior because they're they're already tainted yeah. especially yes. women yeah I agree and I, I think that seems so contrary to what the whole Bible is saying about the nature yeah. of grace, the nature of forgiveness, the nature of what Jesus extends to all of us within the context of you're going to keep making mistakes. Uh, that's that's the, the point, right, is we're on a journey toward, um, toward God. And once we are in that place of being redeemed by Jesus where, where what yeah. Jesus did on the cross has been applied to us through, by grace, through faith. There is a sense of when you make mistakes, you're making those mistakes in the context of there is grace available to you. There's forgiveness available to you. And it's not mm -hmm. anymore. Uh, it's not permanent anymore. There's no such thing as a permanent stain. There's no such thing as a stain that God cannot take care of. That's kind of a doctrinal yes. message that I kind of grew up believing. But then at the same time, my it's almost like in one ear I was hearing that and in the other ear I was hearing like, remain pure, stay pure. Like it was a state I could stay in you know, you know, gritting my teeth, you know, clenching my fists kind of thing. I could control this part of my life and remain pure. Those two messages are getting communicated to people sitting in churches. And what do they do with that? What are you meant to, how are we meant to process these messages? Yeah, and I think this goes back to the explicit and the implicit, right? So what is taught explicitly yeah. from the pulpit, what's explicitly communicated in our homes is God loves you, Jesus loves you, prodigal son, he comes home, everything's fine. But there is an implicit value that's being communicated, especially to women, that is don't lose this one thing. Don't lose this one thing, because if you do, you're tainted forever. I think even the talk about secondary virginity or that I remember oh, yeah. now, even even as a teenager, I remember thinking that sounds ridiculous. But now I think, oh my, oh, yeah, really? <laughs> no, because I mean, what is? I thought I thought about it, going, oh, isn't that nice? See, there's second chances for people. That's where my yeah, head was no, at I think the to time. me it just didn't make any sense. Because to me, even as a teenager, I could see that if you hung everything on virginity, then it's gone. Yeah, like once you're not a virgin anymore, well, that's that's gone. And I think. I, mm. I think this is this was the kind of the trap that that evangelicals that we all fell into is is thinking that implied that idea that okay we could have a second chance at everything but in this one area there was that one shot and if you miss that shot yeah you're, you're done but you can you know pay to go to an event where you potentially can get it back I guess spiritually yeah and that, yeah, you're yeah. referencing. So that's kind of nowhere yeah, in the Bible. Yeah, that's nowhere in the Bible. <laughs> but you're re you're referencing an event that actually took place, isn't that right? When you said that, 
Yeah, so there were events or, I don't know, retreats and stuff like that. I'm, I'm honestly, my, my research is thin on this, but in terms of the secondary virginity uh, idea, teaching, materials, curriculum that was out around that. Um, yeah, I mean, if any of our listeners have access to any of that, it would be re- I'd be really curious to... But basically, we're getting at this idea of sexual purity being biblical and being how we should understand our purity it's just it's just not there and this is the secondary virginity thing that happened within purity culture so where do we go from here well one is we're not going to use the term sexual purity or purity to describe anything to do with sexuality Mm. at least when it comes to this podcast now, and that's where we're yeah. going from Now, here. we will use it in terms of calling purity culture purity culture because, of course, like that's the name for the movement. Um, right. But yes, as far as of I course. think in our own lives and as far as talking about what we do with our bodies, I think there are better terms than, than sexual purity. Yes. And yeah. what... Yeah, I think for me, I think one area where the purity culture movement went really, really wrong is making the Bible say things it wasn't actually saying. And I feel like for me, when Mm. I think about it as a parent, I think kids are smart and you give them, you give them the ability to read. They're going to figure out what you are not telling the full truth about sooner or later. And I think you make the Bible say something it doesn't say. I'll have my, my teenager, my young adult turn around to me at some point and say, it's, it's not in there. You're not going to be able to prove that to me. And so I think, I think for me, I'm comfortable talking about obedience. I think that is a word that's, that's in the Bible. It talks about obeying. Let's talk about obeying God. Let's talk about uh, following Jesus, counting the cost. Uh, let's talk about sin as it relates to all the different sins that the Bible has discussed, like fits of rage, you know, in conjunction yeah. with other things. And then I think those are better words to use than than pure or impure. Yes, I would agree. Being more holistic about how we think of sin and our actions, I think is really important. Where do I go from here with this personally? I've gone on a journey engaging in my sexual choices in a ways that have been healthy, in a ways that have been destructive. When it comes to how I thought about my purity, I'm realizing that I had misunderstood the term. So the term went out in its entirety and everything the term held went out in its entirety. So now thinking this is my sexual choices is a component of my discipleship and I can't just pretend it's not there. So trying to come back to the Lord with my sexuality and submit that to him is where I'm, where I'm going forward from this. And this conversation and looking at how the Bible talks about uh, sexual choices and sexual immorality and sin in its entirety and discipleship in its entirety is going to be helpful for me in terms of processing and continuing to process where I go from here and thinking about it holistically but wanting to submit all of myself to the Lord um, submitting myself to the Father including my sexual choices and not just uh, what I would have said my sexual purity yeah 
Thank you so much for joining us for Where Do We Go From Here? It's just our second episode, but we are enjoying sharing these with you. Come back next week as we begin a two-part series on the sexual prosperity gospel. We can't wait to hear your thoughts on that one too. Now it's your turn. What do you think about the word purity? Do you feel pure or impure? How do you want to think about your life moving forward as it relates to your sexual decisions? Is God part of this conversation for you? If God is, what place does God have in determining the actions of your body, the beliefs of your mind, and the feelings of your heart? We hope that you will talk about this with your friends, neighbors, spouse, your kids and teenagers, maybe with a mom's group or a youth group. We hope that you will walk forward with your community so that you can decide together, where will you go from here?